better or worse, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it better. Science Cast, the podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and then pick apart the science. My name's Poe Dameron. My name's Sean Crossan. And my name is Phasma. I'm going to kill all of Ooh. you because you're a bunch of fucking scum. Phasma's here. Pace, that's a good pull. That was a good one. Um, Hey, get on the ground, you little bitch. I'm, okay, well, this is... <laughs> Classic face again. Yeah, this is a thing for someone, but it's not for me. <laughs> Wait, I'm. That's uh, completely can I change, fair. Can I change mine? Well, hold yes. on. Before you change yours, I have to rate the effort between the two of you, and I'm going to give Pace an A, A plus, and I'm going <laughs> to give you a D. <laughs> I'm, Thank you. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what you guys are referencing right now, so I'm just going to. Are you be... fucking kidding me? <gasps> oh, I, I, Sean. Sean, I'm going to be about it before baby... we recorded. I'm going to be Baby Yoda. Okay, I'll take that. That's fine. Okay, it's also right. yeah, that's a little still in the Star Wars universe because we both named to the characters party. in the Star Wars universe. Okay, you guys yeah. reference two characters that I've never heard of. So Poe Dameron is like one of the main characters in the in the sequels. He is. He's played by Oscar Isaac, who's sexy as hell. Too, yeah, he's man. got a he's got a very good jawline. I just call he him does Oscar. have a good jawline. I don't know what his fucking name. Do you is? call him Oscar? His yeah, Oscar Star Wars. <laughs> Like, you know, Oscar Star Wars. Right. <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Yep, yep. Gotta That's love true. me. I'm the baby. What if Baby Yoda just starts pulling a full dinosaur's, like, oh. twist? I would love that. Oh, that would be good. I think it's dangerous that we are putting this episode out in the air because I think you're on to something, and I think you need to trademark that idea as fast as humanly possible. Okay, TM. Absolutely. TM. Gotta yes. love me. Gotta there trademark me. <laughs> there it is. I'm the baby. Now no one can take it. It belongs to you. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's how that works. That's, that's a verbal works. agreement. As you guys can tell, we are very hyped uh, for the new Star Wars movie that's coming out. Uh, we're all excited to watch uh, one of our favorite franchises come to an end. Um, and then never have oh, any it's movies not end. ever made again. They're going to let it rest now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Disney owns it. Put it to bed. They own it. Give it some time. Let no. all this recover. I don't yep, think so. Just take the Enterprise and fly off towards the Death Star. No, and... that's 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 mm-hmm. a that's a Star Trek. Are are you guys? Are are you? Are we talking about the same thing? They're they're they oh. are the same thing, base. I don't. I don't. Show oh, Sean as a as a Trekkie. You should. You should. You should. Uh, okay, okay. Man, you should okay, eat those words. We're, let's do the episode. Oh now. boy, let's, let's do the episode. Okay. So we yeah, watched uh, Spider Man okay. and Batman are there together because they're in the same universe. Yep. And we're gonna they... do. Yep, Have okay. you seen the um, Spider Man gonna... Batman porno? Because oh, that's okay. Yeah, I'm all just right. gonna now cut all of your audio else. for this for this section. What What is our show, please? For God's sake. As you can tell, this is a podcast where we watch a movie and then we talk about the science in that movie. And uh, this week we watched A Beautiful Mind. Yes, uh, this is a movie. It came out in 2001 and it's this starring is a movie. Russell Crowe. Yeah, okay, Kenneth, I <laughs> I thought you were going <laughs> to... I thought you were going to do the background on the movie, so I was just kind of fucking sitting there. All you, baby, do it. <laughs> uh, okay. 
<laughs> it is, in fact, a movie. <laughs> oh, good. This hey, movie. Sean, can you tell us about the movie? <laughs> this movie came out in 2001, uh, and it stars Russell Crowe. Uh, he plays the role of John... Forbes Nash, come on. Nash. I, oh, I don't know why I couldn't think of his last name, but he plays the okay. role of John Nash, who is a uh, scientist who previously won the Nobel Prize in, I believe, mathematics. And he also has uh, schizophrenia. And this movie is based on a story of his life. And Russell Crowe does it. <laughs> so that's the movie we watched this week. And we're going to talk about the science. And before we do that, I think we need to hear our disclaimers. I think we definitely do. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. And this week, uh, our disclaimers are going to be read to you by our very loyal patron and good friend, Matthew Licari, a.k.a. Boogs. Please take it away. (laughs) Thanks, fellas. You are listening to the real science cast where these three doctors are about to analyze the science and films that you request. You're about to hear some dirty, dirty words, and it is not safe for children. Seriously. They're about to use the words like clitorious and sperm. So strap the fucking cowboys and cowgirls and you gender-neutral cows! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it gets me every time. It's Every time. It's every time. so good. It's actually it very is. good, and I enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, it's so funny. Thank you so much, Boogs, for making this for us. We really appreciate it, and for mm-hmm. for not encroaching on our brand in any other way ever is actually very great. Really <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, very that's accurate. Yeah. way to thank someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's so good. Thank you. It is. Thank you very much. So, I think that we need to figure out what happened in this movie. Mm-hmm. That seems necessary. Yeah, I guess so. Do the plot summary. All right, so. Uh, if this is your first time listening, we're really sorry. <laughs> we're, t- we're all really tired. But what we do on the show is we all roll a dice, and whoever gets the highest number has to do the plot. So. All right. Let's roll some fucking bones. All right. Let's I do just it. did. All right. That's a 16. Sean. I rolled a 16. Oh, face. Nice. I wrote a 12, so I think this is going to be one of you two. Yep, we got a roll off. All right. You ready? For all the marbles. Man, I hope you get this, because I don't remember most of the movie. <laughs> What'd you roll? Got an 18. <laughs> I rolled a 20. You rolled a 20? <laughs> Can you please pick me to do it? Pace, you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. All right. Okay. How about that turn of events, guys? Wow. The tables have been turned. The turns have been tabled. Oh, it's cool that I can roll a natural 20 during podcasting, but not during D&D. <laughs> Never, <laughs> Never during D&D. Never during no. D&D. No, uh, you're not allowed to crit as a barbarian. That would be too too dangerous. An orc barbarian. So I'm going to do this faster than Sean normally does. Wow. That's my goal. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. um, I see how we're doing it. And it's not because you do a bad job. You do an excessively good job, and that's the problem. Well, Pace, I would still prefer if you didn't take 15 minutes to do the plot. So. I'm not going to. Okay. Don't worry. I'm timing myself. Everything we'll, we'll get through I do this. is excessively good. <laughs> that's that's true. I would say that's that it's true. Too excessively good. good. It's it's it, Sean. You're just a remarkably average human, and I love you. So <laughs> I I think that. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> 
<laughs> and <okay>. so <laughs> you're the strawberry yogurt of people. <laughs> I fucking love strawberry yogurt. Get out of here. Everyone That's just does. Good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, they also, oh man, they also. <laughs> okay. Are you ready, We're fine. You got this. Yeah, you ready to? Yeah, you you're yep. ready to fucking take this mantle? Huh? I'm ready. I'm so ready to take your mantle. I'm gonna fail so bad, Sean. Save me, plot. Daddy. Save me. On like Save the last me. four okay. episodes, I'm pretty sure. All right. I gotta tell you, dude, I'm rolling some really shitty rolls because I don't think I've done the plot in like maybe two months. We did have yeah, one where you were supposed to do it, and I just did it anyways. Like, uh, yeah, that it. was Logan's run because I could not remember what I happened. I couldn't remember what happened either. <laughs> oh my goodness! So anyway, this film uh, takes place. It, it spans over about ten years, if I recall correctly. Uh, it takes us back to 1947, post World War II, and this is essentially the story of a group of graduate students at Princeton. Uh, and our main character, played by Russell Crowe, character's name is John Nash, uh, is essentially considered to be a genius of his time uh, mm-hmm. from West Virginia. And he essentially gets to Princeton and uh, meets some of his fellow colleagues and is essentially cry- trying to create a novel and innovative idea for his doctoral thesis. So far, everything seems normal. <laughs> um, if I may, for one moment. Sure. He is also in grad school and attends zero classes and does no other work. So I would that not say that everything is normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, back in 19, back during, you know, the, the 40s and the 50s, Kenan, you know, rules were just sort of guidelines. Right. Kind of like on pirate ships. Yeah, right? that makes he also sense. proceeds to shit on all of the other grad students for going to class. Right. He does. <laughs> he does. He has an unconventional view of what makes a successful uh, educational experience, right? He hates class mm-hmm. um, and thinks that it's a waste of time. And then he is absolutely floored when his advisor goes, uh, actually, I don't know if we're going to place you in any sort of like program yeah, because right. you haven't done anything. Yes. Anyway, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so he has a roommate, and his roommate essentially is someone he becomes best friends with. That's the, the whole point of him having this roommate, someone he can relate to and discuss his life with and his educational pursuits uh, so he goes throughout his grad school experience, and eventually he does uh, stumble upon an important theory, uh, an important idea that is able to land him in a very, very impressive laboratory. Uh, what the, is it's a Wheeler, the Wheeler Laboratory, mm-hmm. um, and he's able to bring a couple of his colleagues in as I guess like sort of co. Um, what what are the, what are their roles that they have? I forgot. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact name that they're given, but he basically brings in his yeah. fr- his friends uh, Saul and yeah. Bender, played by Adam Goldberg and Anthony Rapp. Uh, yes, as thank you. Like basically like co-workers, but I think I, it seems like the way that the placement works, they work under him or work for him, basically. Right. So, so he achieves this, and the thing about our main character, about Russell Crowe's character, is that he's able to identify patterns and codes and sort of sequences of characters uh, better than almost any other human, right? That's sort of his shtick as to what he's able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that leads him to essentially land an array of gigs and recognition, uh, including at like the level of the federal government, 
um, to which he's able to perform this service, to be able to, uh, you know, decode uh, messages from Russians uh, mm-hmm. and and also teach classes. And as his t- during his tenure as a professor, uh, he comes across a student, and who is the, the, what's what's who's the actress who plays Jennifer the love interest? Jennifer Connelly, um, who is literally the brunette of all brunettes in all of ever existence. Wait, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> I, Explain yourself. I'm saying that she's the brunette of all brunettes, Kenan. That's all I really know how all to right. say here. So, um, she plays his okay, love interest. Okay, hold on. You're not going to get away with that face. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what, what do you mean? What does that mean? The brunette of all brunettes. Okay. Do you? There are, are brunettes. Do you? Do okay. you like Jennifer Connelly face? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm a big fan of okay. Jennifer Connelly in this movie. I gotta say, it's pretty really... good to hear you come out in favor of female actors for once. I, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Is, that's I thought this a was little, gonna turn to another Kristen Wiig. Mm-hmm. That's a little rough. That's a little. <laughs> that's a little rough. I think that's that's going a little bit too far, actually. But you did call um, me a bitch earlier and tell me to lie down, so I don't know what the fuck. You... That wasn't me. That was Phasma. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, Phasma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did call mm-hmm. me a very average human being, base. So. I said remarkably average strawberry. <laughs> it made it even Chabon. worse. Actually, it's a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> remarkably you, average seems like I have aspired to be average. <laughs> I mean. Wow. Uh. God, what the fuck? <laughs> what is this shit? Yeah. See you guys later. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go fucking climb Mount Everest, so why don't you guys just fucking calm down? <laughs> so he he, he he meets this girl and uh he marries this girl mm-hmm. um over time and uh eventually he is he's moving moving along and progressing in his career, and he's also met some people along the way. One being his best mm-hmm. friend, his roommate, right? That's one. Um he learns mm-hmm. that he has uh, his roommate uh, has an, uh, a niece um, who he becomes very close with. He's also mm-hmm. met through his interactions with the U.S. government uh, another character who I believe is played by Ed Harris. Ed Harris, mm-hmm. um, who is essentially acting as a sort of confidant or like a mentor in decoding um, uh, Russian codes about an imminent threat to the U.S., which is an atomic bomb that's going to blow. That's going to. He plays a very like quintessential 1950s like government agent yes like anti-soviet government agent like all he wears is a black suit and a black hat and he looks serious all the time so he's met all of these people uh who are who play very important roles in his life Mm -hmm. um and however it, it gets to the it gets to the point um where he's been doing all of this work for Ed Harris's character, uh, and he's been regularly meeting with his ex-roommate about his life and his love interests. It gets to a point where uh, he gets a little bit paranoid about um, the so-called Russians who are attempting to uh, tail him and prevent him from breaking their codes. Mm -hmm. And this, unfortunately, manifests in him giving a lecture uh, as um, uh, at, a, at a college, a guest lecture spot, and the so-called Russians are actually uh, the, I guess we'll just call them hospital workers or um, a, 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 gr- a, a, a physician who uh, has actually apparently suspected him of not being mentally stable for quite some time, mm-hmm. and uh, he is diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And... 
The remainder of the film um, is essentially him dealing with being diagnosed with schizophrenia. We learn that some of the most important people in his life, his best friend, his roommate, his uh, his roommate's niece, who he kind of functionally views uh, as his own niece for the sake of a, a relationship standpoint, as well as Ed Harris's character, his sort of uh, anti uh, Soviet agent who works for the government. These are all people that he has imagined, and uh, not imagined. Sorry, these are people that he has uh, basically hallucinated. hallucinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this goes along with the sort of delusions of grandeur that he is having about his importance in preventing this sort of bomb from going off in the U.S. that the Russians are working to uh, that, are, that are, the Russians are, are, are working to implement. Um, he is admitted to into a hospital, and he receives treatment for schizophrenia, and he deals with the social fallout of this. Mm-hmm. And this is about that we're, we have moved into the 1950s at this point of the film, and essentially, <clears throat> he um, it's we we see the hardship that uh, takes place between him and his wife, the strain on their relationship. Uh, we see the professional fallout at work, um, where he was a professor. And we also see over time, um, you know, the, 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 every personal fallout that could possibly imagine with his, with his best friends, his colleagues, um, as a result of this and him coming to terms with his disease, with his sickness. And eventually, uh, it gets to a point where he decides to tackle it. And this is sort of a montage point in the movie where he goes through behavioral and pharmacological intervention and decades pass Mm -hmm. uh he's able to uh continue to quote unquote work at princeton university uh in the library which honestly is just kind of a an act of pity uh based upon one of his former friends that is now in a a high level administrative position uh at princeton but um remarkably enough and, and this is one of those kind of special points of the movie um he's able to manage his illness to the point that he's able to make a remarkable discovery uh, in the realm of mathematics, which is his forte. And because of this, he wins the Nobel Prize and uh, is recognized for his genius uh, and has then also continued to allow to, to be allowed to teach at Princeton as well in conjunction with managing, managing his illness. Um, and uh, this sort of like culmination of his career, despite schizophrenia, is the, is the point and ending of the film. Um, Mm -hmm. where he has been all through all of these hardships and he has been able to, uh, through lots of trials and tribulations, uh, emerge in, uh, in a state of prestige. And, um, that's, that's essentially the end, um, with, with the support of, of his wife, Jennifer Connelly, who is relentlessly supportive and honestly, one of the most impressive characters in the entire film. Uh, for going through this with him, so I, I think that's, one of that's is say, say again, Sean. Uh, I was gonna say I think one of my favorite things about the way they portrayed everything in this film is that like so for those of you who haven't watched it, basically the first half of the movie you don't know that the people here are ta- he's talking to are hallucinations. There's no like camera work or anything to make it like no filters or anything to make it seem like they're not real. They they at no point like fade away or anything. You only realize that they're not real because later in the movie, like there'll be scenes where other people just won't see the individuals, but 
John Nash will. And I I really like that they did that because they didn't come at it like, oh, he's in a schizophrenia haze or something. Like, it's just kind of like, this is, this is his life. This is his life. He can't distinguish the hallucinations from reality until he like has begun to start confronting his illness. It's, yeah, it's kind of blurry in that way. Yeah. You, you are with him in the experience for the first half of the movie. And it seems there, there's no reason for you to question the reality of it. Right. Right. Uh, until he gets encountered by the, the doctor, um, the physician who begins to treat him for schizophrenia. And then his wife has also believed him the entire time about it. He had this best friend mm-hmm. and that he had these relationships that weren't, in fact, real. They were real to him. They were hallucinations. But they were not. Um, they were a manifested reality. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually really liked the way that they addressed all, uh, all of it in the movie. Um, and I liked how, like for the most part they didn't, I mean, I'm not a mathematician, so I can't speak to anything that, uh, John Nash was like scribbling on all of every surface that he was around. (laughs) There's no way I can tell you if any, any of the nonlinear equations or whatever the hell he was working on differential equations he was working on, are are accurate or anything like that i'm sure there's a mathematician out there who can do it but they didn't spend any time with that like they spent a large portion of the time talking about his condition instead of like embellishing mathematics in general which was correct which was cool so also probably a good idea because like they do sort of portray his like discoveries as very like aha moments where you're just like oh my god yeah Yeah. a A plus b equals c and then like he runs it you know which is (laughs) Kind of how they do that with science in a lot of movies because they don't want to go through the, the process of how many years it takes to figure stuff out, like in a right. movie, which I guess they do show him aging looking at stuff. It's really just when yeah. he's in grad school. When well, he's in grad school. That's that's what I was gonna say, is it like the thing that he that he wins his Nobel Prize for eventually, right? Like so um he is an a math a mathematician, yes, but like a large portion of what he worked on was game theory, which is this uh, area of mathematics that's actually mo- it actually does a lot of modeling in social science because it literally describes mathematical models of how strategic interactions occur between groups of decision makers. And so it's right. very, very, very strongly tied to economics. So when he has his like aha moment on on, you know, how these interactions could occur, you know, things that are mutually beneficial versus individuals all like trying to benefit themselves. It became a thing that people based a lot of modern economics on. And so when he was approached for the Nobel prize, it was very much a conversation that instead of like, Hey, your continued work in this field has been like really helpful. It's how the Nobel prize usually goes, which is like this thing that you did 40 fucking years ago everyone uses now so we want to give you the Nobel prize for it that is true that is really what happens a lot of the time like someone will publish a paper on a technique and it turns out that like the technique is just really picked up in the field and people find it really useful and use it all the time and then they get the nobel prize like way later because people are like hey that really worked out (laughs) yeah exactly yeah oh wow everyone uses this great yeah. Yeah. You never like run down the hallway of your building screaming like, oh my God, I've done it. I've done it. And they're like, get this man a Nobel Prize. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. 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 And actually so. for a lot of people who win the Nobel Prize after the fact, their original ideas, people were like, that's fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So. Yes. Yes. I think there's one thing that we should make clear to listeners. Yes. And that is, I mean, I mean 
we should define what schizophrenia is, right? Because so I would imagine this movie would be tricky to watch for someone who didn't know what schizophrenia was, right? Yes. Probably. Yeah, probably. Maybe. Yeah. So for the sake of awareness. Or people that have a misconception of what schizophrenia is even. Which there's probably a lot of that too. Or like content warning. If you have trouble with movies about distorted reality and distorted perception, this movie will fuck with you. And I would not watch it. It will. Because it will. that's another bit that happens in this movie. Is like they don't tell you what's real for like a good portion of the movie. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, like the first half of the movie, arguably. Um so schizophrenia uh is a chronic and severe mental disorder that affects a wide variety of things in a human that has it. It affects the way that they view the world, uh how they think, how they behave, um and their perception of things around them. Usually people get it between the ages of 16 and 30. Um, mm-hmm. late adolescence, early adulthood. And because of that, I think the age at which John Nash gets it in this movie is realistic. I'd probably put him at about like 24, 25-ish mm. if he's just going into grad school, right? I mean, I that's, that's just an estimate, but I'd say that's pretty realistic mm-hmm. as to when he's starting to see the symptoms yeah. or at least people around him are noticing it, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we were like all in our 20s when we started grad school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, importantly, the cause of schizophrenia is, to this day, unknown. Uh, People don't know what causes it. There are a lot of theories, including uh, the the most predominant one and most widely agreed upon just being an imbalance of neurotransmitters in the brain. Neurotransmitters are are how brain cells communicate. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's not surprising that people would think this. Chemical uh, signaling. About schizophrenia. Chemical Chemical signaling mm, in the brain. Chemical signaling. Now, when it comes to chemical what's schizophrenia, <laughs> thank you, Sean, thank you, Sean. for You're confirming welcome. what we're talking about. I appreciate you and uh, your efforts in this. You're welcome. Your vanilla <laughs> efforts. Hey, I'm strawberry. I almost said remarkably average efforts. <laughs> um, <laughs> Whoa. There are. There this, are. Is a, this is a rough day for Sean, huh? Rough day. <laughs> we're all stressed and tired and we're taking Sean. it out on each other. <laughs> or just me. <laughs> no, Sean, I love you. Shut oh. up. You have a good beard. Uh, That's true. Now, in schizophrenia, how it displays itself, how it manifests, there are positive symptoms and there are negative symptoms. And this is, does not mean what you might think it good means. Good or bad. Because all the symptoms of schizophrenia are bad. <laughs> Yeah. So the positive symptoms are the psychotic behaviors that are not seen in healthy people. Uh, These are the ones that that we might perceive on the outside as someone with schizophrenia causing them to lose touch with reality. Uh, These include the hallucinations, the delusions, the sort of those are clear as to what he's how he's having these in the movie. The agitated body movements. There is a horrific bullying moment where he is walking through campus um, during his older years and he is holding a particular posture, which a lot of the students poke fun at him about. And that's an example of sort of these agitated body movements. Watching this scene actually like made me f- like physically angry. Um, and then yeah. there are also yeah, same, uh, thought disorders. Yeah, right. There are also thought disorders, which are basically just dysfunctional ways of thinking. We kind of see this whenever he's just 
not able to recognize and understand how the way in which he is viewing the world is different from reality itself. Those are the positive symptoms. Right. Of Why are they called positive symptoms? I think it's because they elicit or they're like examples of exaggerated or not normally present um, features or stimuli. I see. So mm-hmm. they're like added on to what would be like the norm for behavior. the healthy existence. Right. Yeah. That was my impression. Whereas I assume that negative yeah. would be like things that are missing, missing. from personality function. Exactly. Yeah. That's okay, exactly that right. Sense. That makes yeah. sense. The, the, the negative symptoms are like what's what are what psychiatrists call a flat effect, which is like a reduced expression of emotions mm-hmm. or uh, or facial expression or like tone of voice. I saw this the most or a good example whenever he was holding his child mm-hmm. where he was just sitting there and staring off into space and not understanding or recognizing that he was holding his child right yeah and his child was crying needing attention also keeping in mind that during that period he was heavily medicated on antipsychotics as well mm. so. right which can also really really yeah. yes. even out your everything yes <laughs> so. yeah yeah i mean a side effect of a lot of those antipsychotic drugs which we'll get into is a flat effect right so mm-hmm. uh, other uh negative symptoms reduced feelings of pleasure in everyday life uh reduced speaking difficulty just like doing things beginning and sustaining everyday activities yeah. you know your your normal responsibilities depressive symptoms um depressive symptoms yeah, yeah i mean a lot of people with schizophrenia get initially diagnosed with depression right which is not surprising other things that i'll just point out with schizophrenia uh there are sometimes cognitive symptoms and by that i mean like uh poor executive functioning which is the ability to understand information and use it to make decisions uh, trouble focusing, paying attention, uh, problems with working memory, which is the ability to like use information that you just learned and then apply it quickly. Um, <laughs> how's your working memory? Kevin? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it sort of makes sense. Like you're, you're having like a, people are having like a sort of like a global brain crisis, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you would think that like any one of these symptoms could be, strong enough to incur the other symptoms like if you were having constant auditory hallucinations it would be pretty difficult to focus on information right like I just, oh of course yeah like and I, I guess because they don't know what's happening and if, if it's really just neurotransmitters are not at the proper levels they should be at i mean that's it makes sense why it has such far-reaching uh yes symptoms well and you make a good point sean because if I, as i'm like i'm describing these symptoms it would be very, very easy to see how multiple different psychiatric illnesses, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, could be confused right, <laughs> with yeah, one another exactly. yeah. or misunderstood yeah. between one another. Like, like even to put a, a like a, a finer, like a, a finer level of confusion on, it, especially what well, that's often found a lot in the diagnoses of mental disorders. But there's schizophrenia, and there's also what's known as schizoaffective disorder. Um, yes. which has a lot of the same symptoms, but most prominently schizophrenia is is marked by chronic, ongoing, persistent psychotic symptoms associated with both diseases, whereas schizoaffective disorder is episodes. So there's more of like a bipolar aspect to that, although right. both, uh, both diseases feature bipolar disorders in general. Yeah. I think... Go ahead, John. If you're no, I'm just going to say it makes sense, like, why 
uh, some of these might be difficult to really hammer down a root cause of some of these exactly. diseases because like you for the past i don't know like decades and hundreds of years that people have been like prob- probably in the past hundred years where people have been like realistically assessing mental disorders or making any sort of attempt to sort of like see these as mental disorders and not like some sort of you know um supernatural interaction or something like that or right. or even right. just like calling people crazy instead yeah. of actually right. addressing symptoms yeah or calling people weak or like like weak of personality weak yeah. of you know work ethic weak willed right yeah. but basically once people even start trying to look at these as diseases it's really hard to figure out just based on symptoms because a lot of these dis- different mental disorders are going to have the same symptoms but com- may have yes. completely different like biological reasons for the manifestation which is why it's so difficult to to track down what's the cause of these so yeah absolutely i mean i think you you both hit on an important an important point and that is that we still don't fully understand what distinguishes and differentiates a lot of more or less common psychiatric disorders um Mm -hmm. because people get misdiagnosed with these things all the time. Yeah, it's also probably worth mentioning too. Like, I, I don't know how pervasive this is, it, not in the in non scientific or non medical communities, but um, there are a lot of diseases out there that either are on or off, right? So, like, you either definitely have this, and like it's something you deal with, and your symptoms look like that, and it's very easy. Not maybe not always easy to diagnose, but like once you know you have that thing, you have that thing just like everybody else does. But mental diseases more often than not are like a lot of other uh, disorders, especially things like genetic disorders, where the the degree of which you have a disease is on a spectrum. And you might have yep. multiple symptoms because, because of them. So like, just like diabetes has a lot of comorbidities or other issues a person can have because they have diabetes – Mental disorders are very much like that. So, like, if you have schizophrenia, you also have depression. You also have bipolar disorder. Like, you have, more often than not, you have a lot of these other symptoms, which lead to misdiagnoses in the same way that typical diseases, often caused by genetic issues or something like that, the way that most people think of a disease, are caused. Right. Right. And, I mean, a lot of what doctors rely on when they're diagnosing a disease uh, is like patient history and yeah. the patient being able to like tell them what is going on. And if someone has had delusions for like 10 years, they might not accurately be reporting, you know, what their symptoms are. I mean, obviously like doctors are trained to sort of gain insight into what is really going on based on the symptoms that the person is presenting in front of them. But it's still, it's a complicated issue. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I, I think it's, I wasn't planning on talking about this actually, but I, I think it's worth pointing out that there, you, you both talked about the diagnosis of, of these diseases and um, there is a notable system and uh, I, well, I guess I'll call it a manual. There is the, what's been called for the past few decades, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or it's also just abbreviated DSM. For the purpose of mm. this, now Dungeons Sand DSM, Maggins Dungeons Dungeons and Maggins <laughs> Dungeons yeah. Sand Dragons, which are the Sand Dragons are much better than the Fire and the Water Dragons. The second for Dragons sure. is spelled with a silent M in the beginning. Mm, dragons, <laughs> <laughs> it's silent, Kenan. <laughs> 
So the, the, the DSM manual, importantly, is, is basically it's like a guide for psychiatrists right. for, for diagnosing mental disorders. And importantly, we are currently in version five. Um, there have been multiple versions throughout the years, and I, I think that the DSM-5, which was published in 2013, that's the most up-to-date version, but I think, and, and again, this gets updated like every few decades, so like DSM-4 was in 1994, and DSM-3 was in 19, I think it was 1980, uh, and we keep on wow. going back and, and, and further, further back. We're back to like the, the around World War II when uh, when these ideas started originating as to how to diagnose these things. Um, this is an ongoing process, yeah, as to how we understand and diagnose these diseases, uh, and it's not perfect. And uh, there's still a lot of progress to be made in the understanding of the most efficient way to do this. Yeah, and I know that like this is like like many things um, of this type of nature where like classification is important and. Um, uh, naming things and how things are supposed to be treated is really important. There is controversy associated with the DSM just uh, beyond even within the field of psychiatry. So like a lot of people who have these different disorders will sometimes experience uh, recategorization that may affect them uh, in their day to day. Right. So like if somebody has a specific disease mm-hmm. and the way that their disease is categorized may affect their insurance or like may affect what type of treatment they can get Oh, specifically absolutely. because the DSM has changed how they think of a disease. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because it essentially if something that's listed in the, in the DSM, you can be diagnosed with an, with a legitimate biological disorder, mm-hmm. right? A biological illness, um, which matters from healthcare and health insurance perspective. Right. So, which is, which is significant. It's also, there's more like even political and like social things with the DSM too, because there are definitely mental diseases that are going to have uh, something like some sort of like gender misidentification as like a symptom, which is, can be a symptom of disease, but is also not socially. uh, That's not the only time that anyone would ever experience something like that let's put it that way yeah exactly like you you can have gender dysphoria and it like not be caused because of a mental illness you have depression because you have gender dysphoria right like right, right. and exactly. how those things are thought of is really important especially in as you're alluding to the trans community or, or any of these other communities right and i think like in our current society we're still at a phase where a society as a whole is really trying to figure out exactly how to best like categorize and understand the differences between people who are like experiencing these symptoms as part of a mental disorder or people that are just experiencing these symptoms as something that doesn't need to be looked at that way as just part of a personality or a, you know, human characteristic. Yeah. As part of gender identity. Like, right. Exactly. Um, but anyways, we don't need to get into that on the show. I just think it's an interesting topic to bring up because I think this is one of the other main reasons that like mental diseases ha- are so difficult to handle. And as a society, we have had a really bad track record of like accurately identifying them and treating them properly. And it's because there is so much, uh, there's just so many things that are affected by the way we behave. Yeah. So, and, and I yes. think it's worth saying too that like, this is not a subject that we're going to cover on our podcast in any great detail. I mean, I know we did, um, we, we have a little bit, but we're three cis dudes and there are 
so many other podcasts out there that are uh, put put forth by trans creators, and you should go listen to them. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they yeah. will definitely know way more than we will. Hundred <laughs> percent. Don't lean on us. But so so pace in this movie. So we we're talking yes. a lot about how you know symptoms of uh, schizophrenia and how it's diagnosed and stuff like that in the movie. How do you think they portrayed it? And in particularly, how do you think they portrayed some of the treatments for it? So I think behaviorally in the way that he experienced schizophrenia, I can't say with 100% certainty because I don't have schizophrenia. Right, and I course. don't know yeah, what that experience yeah. is like. But but based upon my academic understanding of schizophrenia, it seems fairly accurate. Uh, and another accurate representation, as you asked about, for the time period was the treatment uh, in which he receives insulin shock therapy. Mm -hmm. And this historically was really widely used and accepted by multiple physicians across Western Europe and the US from the 1930s all the way through the early 1960s. Um, And essentially, this is just like one type of shock therapy. I'm sure you've heard of other types of shock therapy that were used for mental disorders including electroshock, electroshock therapy, electroconvulsive therapy. Right. And the basis for this, for using this, especially in the context of schizophrenia, is wild. And I'm about to tell you what it is, and that is that the idea of using shock therapy for schizophrenia was based off of the notion that epileptic convulsions, which are induced from shock therapy, and schizophrenic and like schizophrenic symptoms never occurred in the same same person at the same time. So therefore, <laughs> there was what? a doctor. So, oh yes, God. there were doctors and physicians somewhere who thought, well, someone who has epileptic seizures doesn't have schizophrenia. So let's <gasps> shock the schizophrenia out of them. <laughs> oh my God! That let's shock wild. it out of them. Wait, so. I, so I thought for the insulin therapy, there was also the idea about the insulin-induced coma, right? Yes. Yes. So if you give someone, they, they essentially inject insulin into your bloodstream, which lowers your blood sugar. Your cells need sugar to survive, glucose, and therefore you go into a coma whenever your uh, cells are deprived of their energy source. Now, probably good. Yeah, they probably. would do this. Say again, Sean. That's, that's probably a really good thing for your body. Oh, it's it's it's. It, I mean, it's not like it had a one percent mortality rate. Oh wait, yes, it did. Oh my god, have a one percent mortality god. rate. Yeah, like that's really hard to gauge the proper dose of insulin to not just fucking kill someone. Like when when your body yeah. goes into a coma, uh-huh. it's literally like, well, as one last ditch effort to not die, I'll go into a coma. Yeah, I'm gonna go into like, a coma. But but here's the thing though, and this is not this is why it's not shocking that it had a one percent mortality rate. They would give this, and they described this in the movie, and it was accurate. They would give schizophrenic patients doses of insulin daily, about five to six times per week. They would go into a coma for an hour for 10 weeks, totaling 50 to 60 comas Mm, Okay, so as a part of their treatment regimen. So for a long time, mental health professionals were recreating the plot of Flatliners. Um, to try and cure oh. people. Oh my God! I it's, forgot that we did that. Full circle. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very cool. Well, is and and yeah. so and Pace, you might know more about this, but so I was doing some like cursory reading on the insulin shock therapy, and the the basis for like the the convulsions is fucking buck wild, but the basis for the coma, I 
so when I was looking at why people stopped doing it, it was really just that there were just better medications for inducing um, like coma-like states in people. That's partially true. Okay. There, if there was, so an important aspect of this is the decline of insulin shock therapy. Okay. Right, and that's and that's what you're kind of getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. So, importantly, there was a paper published in Lancet, um, which today is a high, pretty high profile Who's journal. Who's it? Uh, by a guy named, huh? What can I no, just go ahead? Pace, don't, don't even listen. Don't, don't acknowledge Sean's upset pace. with me. Just Unlike you guys, I actually like stop talking when someone else begins to talk. So listen, you're just gonna have That's to rich. excuse my politeness. Um, okay, so <laughs> sorry. Ugh, in okay. 19, it in, in, importantly, I think Sean, you discussed you know why people stopped using insulin shock therapy. Yeah, yeah, I'm right? curious. Mm-hmm. And so the important thing, there was a clinical trial done in the late 1950s where they took a subset of schizophrenic patients and they used insulin shock therapy versus just barbiturates which are essentially just like something to put you into a coma Mm -hmm. right and they compared the potential benefits of 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 insulin shock therapy versus barbiturates in schizophrenic patients and found there was no difference between them both of them went into comas, right? Right. Um, but but there was no better aspect of the insulin shock therapy compared to just like a straight central nervous system depressant. So that essentially nicks the theory that insulin shock therapy was even somewhat beneficial for schizophrenic patients. Mm. Okay. Because I did think that like after the decline of insulin shock therapy, people were still putting patients in comas. I don't know if the, I'm, I don't, honestly have no idea if this happens today. I'm assuming not, but I'm not a doctor. So maybe they do this for some. No, no, diseases, I, I, I think, I think late sixties, early seventies, this completely fell out yeah. of, 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 of modern practice. That's right. fucking great. So I'm glad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm glad we stopped. <laughs> I'm sure there are scenarios where like people use like some sort of depressants to like try and like, even out psychotic tendencies for someone for like a acute period of time. Yeah. But I don't think it's as extreme as putting someone in a coma. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like at this point and maybe Pace can talk a little bit more about this if you know more, but like most treatments for schizophrenia now, much like the type of thing that we discussed earlier require a form of personalized medicine. So, you know, just like, you know, depression, what medications actually work for you you take a combination yeah. of antipsychotics, yeah. antidepressants, things like that, uh, anti-anxiety drugs, and you know, over a period of uh, of testing, a lot of patients may find combinations that work for them in, in abating right. those symptoms. Well, and coupled with therapy. Exactly, I was going to yeah. say it's almost always coupled with, with 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 some version of psychotherapy that goes along with it, and you know, like a like a, a vocational rehabilitation program, you know, to support employment of these people usually goes along with that too. And there's just one last note, I'll say this before we can like move on, is that I came across this book written in 1996, which was titled Treatment Without Consent, Law, Psychiatry, and the Treatment of Mentally Disordered People Since 1845. Oh, wow. And it discusses, I read like the abstract, it discusses all of the illegal ways without consent that people have with mental disorders have uh, been treated for the past like 150 years. And it's honestly terrifying. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It is also interesting in this movie, now that you bring that up, 
like he does not go seek medical help because he doesn't even realize he's hallucinating. Like he gets committed by his wife, which Mm -hmm. is, I don't, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm, I know that that's a practice that is done. It's just a interesting scenario to think about the way he was brought into that. Like he thought that he was kidnapped by Russians. Yeah. And it was just doctors trying to, Trying to help him by shocking him with insulin, but it was just Christopher Plummer and his psychiatry thugs. <laughs> it's it's the whole thing is incredibly ironic, right? It's ironic that he is being treated against his will. It's not ironic. It's it's horrific that he's being treated against his will. But then it's ironic that the treatment is providing no help to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Medically. Well, and like they show that like after the treatments and the medicine he's getting, he does seem to be managing his disease better. Yes. And like, they don't well, really get into the nitty gritty of like, Oh, the insulin shock therapy is what helped him. It's more just like, right. He exactly. The awareness. Yeah. The awareness. He, yeah. He's been seeking treatment and it has helped him like rationalize some of it, not rationalize, I guess, like understand that his hallucinations are in fact, Come hallucinations. To terms with. right. So. Yes. I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this and we can get into the nitty gritty of my mental health on a different podcast, but I mean, <laughs> I, I can speak a little bit to the degree of what they portray him experiencing because I, in reality, obviously they give him insul- insulin shock therapy. We've already discussed the, the quote unquote merits of that, um, but he is on a, a specific bout of medication that basically makes him feel like a zombie and then when he stops taking it he feels better that's like a lot of antidepressant medications and a lot of anti-anxiety medications i went on Mm -hmm. one uh back when i was dealing with depression pretty acutely i went on one round of medication and i stopped taking it because i felt like a fucking zombie and so like this is a lot of things that people with mental health disorders end up experiencing and then they don't want to take their drugs so i mean I, Shopping, I understand, right? especially in an age where the drug, uh, uh, where medication and treatments were even worse, why yeah, John course. Nash would not want to do this. Well, especially if they yeah. were going in with the theory of like, oh, we just need to like suppress the shit out of his like hallucinations, just give him like high dose of right. these mood flatteners or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's very nonspecific. And like a lot of times people if they don't feel that their symptoms they had before are as bad as the new symptoms they're getting from their medication, it's sort of just like, what's, what's the point? You're just trading off for yeah. a different thing. And right? schizophrenia like, patients running that, run into that today. Like that's still yeah. very much a thing. So on that note, I think is it time? Is it, is it time to rate the movie? We got to do something that's more cheerful than what we just did. So yeah, <laughs> so we got to rate the movie. Guys. Well, I got an idea then. Okay, let's we... hear it. Burr, 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 burr. Oh, 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 oh shit. Wow. Oh, God, we're we're like, just... oh, okay. There we go. We're in the rating uh, zone. Let's rate. Beautiful. This bitch. Whoa. I want to go first. Do it. Okay. Do it. I here. I'm going to peel back the curtain. I had oh. one okay. too many ciders while watching this movie. Um, <laughs> oh, real Encino man situation. I'm not going to say that this is a cinema, cinemagraphic Mac, uh, masterpiece but i did cry twice during this movie uh uh-huh. so i'm gonna give it for this specific watching of this movie i'm gonna give the i'm gonna do entertainment first i'm gonna give it a five out of five uh beautiful nice because i wept like a little well baby deserved. on my couch hugging mm-hmm. my dog um oh as far as the science goes Stop. 
they there is not a lot of science in this movie and this is like a nitty gritty thing but the science in this movie is really inaccurate because it accurately portrays how mental health science was carried out uh during the time period so i'm gonna give it like a four out of five uh where the science is actually pretty good there's not a ton ton of it it's more like they're correctly documenting the science of the times does that make sense yeah yeah cool it does um sean go all right i'll just go i'm gonna give the movie entertainment uh and i'm gonna give it let's go eight out of ten okay. i really like this movie a lot i would definitely recommend it's it good. it's super good yes um russell crowe does a fucking phenomenal job um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, i mean i think even though russell crowe is kind of wild sometimes but um yeah he's a good actor um, but the science, I also agree with Kenan. I think that like the way they portray his disease and also the way they, the way it's portrayed in the movie from like a cinemagraphic perspective and like, um, just, I don't know, just his interactions with his hallucinations and stuff. I think it's done really well for the movie and also probably the most like I would based on my knowledge of schizophrenia seems like the most accurate portrayal I've seen in a movie, you know? Yeah. Like he, they don't embellish he's not, it. Yeah. He's not just like erratic for the sake of being erratic. Like he is hallucinating that someone is chasing, like a Russian is trying to capture him and he's like acting like a normal person trying to get out of that scenario, you know? So I, I feel like they do a good job making him not just seem like quote crazy. They're trying to make him seem like he's dealing with the symptoms of the disease. So. Yeah. I'm going to give it a four out of five on that. Hell yeah. Pace, what do you think? Thank you, Sean. Um, I'm going to give the entertainment factor of the film uh, a five out of five. I think it was a really well done film. I think that the acting was moving. It was convincing. Um, I only cried once, but, you know, I can't act like I'm going to measure up to Kenan's level of emotion. Uh, That's not something I can hope to achieve. don't fucking aspire to that. I didn't, I didn't cry at all but it was emotional it was yes um for, for the science i'm i'm gonna give it um i'm gonna give it i'm gonna revert back to the 10 point rating scale and give it a, a 9 out of 10 wow. um Great. i i think that for the i think in regards to the portrayal of the illness and the portrayal of how it would have been treated at the time was accurate um, the only thing that I'll say is that I think a lot of his delusions and uh, hallucinations were were probably exaggerated or, or, or some of the most mm-hmm. extreme variants of, of, of what might have been observed in a person with schizophrenia. So, but yeah, aside good. from that, yeah, I think I think the the scenes to kind of like build on what you're saying because I, I I'm following um, the scenes where he like focuses in on specific things in. Uh, in writing or in numbers and they kind of like lift from the page is more like a cinema tool that they use in order to like tell you what he's seeing versus like yes. him actually seeing that actively happening. So, and I think they right. do a good job right. of, of kind of making that they, clear just by like yeah, yeah. how they do it. So they do differentiate Agreed. it well from like his hallucinations. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, cool. With that, we should move into some listener questions, right? Yeah, let's do them. Deal. Let's do. Let's do them. Yeah, blast some tweets. What does the tweet say? What does the tweet say from our loyal listener uh, and patron uh, Curtis Ryan DeGraw Curtis at Ryan Abnormal DeGraw. Mormon on Twitter? Um, more of a request: Could you briefly touch on the history of how we've treated mental illness and the progress we've made towards normalizing things like therapy? Mm. Uh, he says. Uh, he says I've got family that grew up dealing with it in a far less understand in far less under- understanding times. And hearing about progress is nice. Yes, it certainly is. Tell me about it. Um, I think this is something that I would like to cover in more detail on a different show. Maybe even covering a different movie that we will discuss at a later time. But what I will say, uh, Curtis Randegraw, is that. You know, your 30-second history of, of, of how we've dealt with mental illness includes from chronological order from the from the most from the oldest to the most recent. Um, this includes things like uh, removing portions of people's skulls in a process called trephination, bloodletting, purging, isolation in insane asylums, lobotomies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Lobotomies. Uh, that was, unfortunately, one of the more recent things, which didn't really end until, like, the mid-50s. Which is really crazy to think about. It's so crazy. Yeah. And and for those who, who forget, a lobotomy is when you basically take an ice pick and stick it into someone's eye socket and mush around their frontal cortex, the, the front part of their brain. Uh, insulin coma therapy, metrazole therapy, both used to induce comas. Um, this, this is a, a snapshot of how we've dealt with this. I think that today we're making pretty decent progress towards normalizing therapy and, and, and the need for addressing mental health, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the crazy so. part about this is this is a lot of these were people who were trying to make up treatments based on like flawed information and knowledge about the brain, but it's not that they were necessarily like doing this stuff just to hurt people not not all the doctors like they were legitimately trying to help with these things right they were well, just they like yeah they just didn't know what to do it's it's basically what i'm saying is before that people were literally treating it like you were possessed or something like exorcisms were probably done on mentally ill people a lot of the time so oh yeah for sure that's how that's that's really how people treated it a long time ago is they were like oh there's some sort of supernatural event that's causing you to do this um i will say Despite the horrific nature of all the things that I just listed, those are all more morally acceptable than 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 just dismissing mental illness as as something due to demonic possession or some sort of other supernatural cause. Um, yeah, because this 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 doing those things at least implies an acknowledgement and an understanding that there is something wrong with this person at the biological level. You know, as as opposed to, you know, some mythical creature that is that is causing this. Yeah. It's it's not the, not taking the easy way out. Agreed. Yeah. So. I, it's also worth mentioning just real quick. Uh, we we covered this topic pretty succinctly over a period of a couple of podcasts. Um, so you should definitely check out the, our episode on Split, um, our episode on yes. s- the Still Alice. Uh, movie which uh, covers oh a lot of God, like that movie. That movie made me cry. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was a depressing movie uh, about. Uh, that was mostly about Alzheimer's, but we do touch on like mental disorders and things a little bit. Uh, and we also talk about mel- mental illness in the Twelve Monkeys episode. So check those out. Yep. 
The next listener question also comes from Curtis Ryan DeGraw. What are some of the challenges that we still face in addressing mental health needs? And what are some of the things we can do to make meaningful movement forward? Again, I, um, kind of like quickly answering your your question here. I, I think that some of the challenges are diminishing the pervasive stigma that surrounds mental illness. Um and then just that that I think I think that's one of the main obstacles from what I perceive. Yeah. In cultures that surrounds us. Yeah, I think that's like a societal thing that we need to do. I agree. I, I think we, we covered some of the challenges in regards to especially the D uh the dun- Dungeons and Dragons. Um but also like <laughs> just in general you know, help destigmatize therapy, uh, normalize therapy. Everyone should go to therapy. And also, like, this seems pretty obvious, but like, if you ever meet a person that is clearly dealing with something or is also, you know, uh, oh, this person's a little weird, they're probably like, they're dealing with something. So, like, in yeah. general, don't call people crazy. Like, be understanding if somebody's having trouble with social interactions or remembering things or, or, or things like that. And I think, in general, it should seem pretty obvious to say treating people better is a good way to simple human kindness, right? To destigmatize mental illness. But also do it. Yeah. Yep. I, I would also say I think that there are some systemic changes that can be made as well, whether it be, you know, something along the lines of, you know, you know, building up administrative and you're about to open a can of worms. <laughs> well, I'm not meaning worms. to. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying that there's a there's a cultural issue and a systemic issue and, and an administrative issue mm-hmm. within our health our healthcare system that needs to acknowledge mental health in the way that it does not. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Absolutely Can perpetrated you, by um, our government and wait, our economy to help wait, keep wait, people wait, with wait, mental wait, illness wait. poor and on the streets. Sorry, did oh. Pace just say that our healthcare system <laughs> needs some fixing? Because I don't I, I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> I've never heard this before. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> stop it's too real Sean. it is too way real. too fucking real all right oh, I'm gonna, we're gonna stop <laughs> i'm gonna buy a plant so i can just feel something <laughs> we have one we have one we have one more question on twitter and this comes from granny omaha at granny omaha on twitter how much of this was his mental disorder and how much was the mk ultra type stuff oh now, fuck for for those <laughs> unaware the the MK Ultra program was a CIA mind control program, and and this was a, a range of experiments that took place uh, between nineteen early nineteen fifties and uh, early nineteen seventies that were essentially involved a lot of often illegal experimentation on humans using drugs such as LSD, uh, electroshocks, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation verbal and sexual abuse to uh, try to to try to control people yeah. try to mind control people now the question here is whether what the main, our main character John Nash what he went through was likely to be due to this sort of program or just his disorder and i think the answer is pretty clear in this instance it's just his disorder yeah i mean john nash has talked about this like he's a real person who's yeah. like yeah this is based on a true story by the way so yeah. yes but but also, we are as we talked about, insulin shock therapy was widely used and accepted in the U.S. and East mm-hmm. Western Europe in this time period. So it, it would have been standard of care 
for for John Nash. Especially with stuff like MK Ultra, I would say that there is like a may you because we're definitely bordering on conspiracy theory here, but oh for sure, there's definitely some shit that the CIA did that was very illegal and fucked up a lot of people, specifically within this program. But also, I think it 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 speaks a lot to the level of distrust that people have in previous medical practices like the ones we witness within a beautiful mind because of how close they border on things like this that are just abuse and now are like definitely viewed as that rightly so because yes. they are again forced on a person they're very uh, detrimental to a person's health in a lot of other ways and there are ways that we can just treat people with regular fucking medi- medication without inducing comas mm, what yeah. a wild idea but thank you for your question. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes, thank you for your question, Granny Omaha. We appreciate it. We do have one more question, uh, and that is from Lauren Pace at AKA Lofer on Twitter. Nice. Is it true that hangovers are caused by dehydration, so that not enough water is present in the body for the Krebs cycle? If you recall at the beginning of the film, um, John Nash's imaginary roommate explains this as the cause of a hangover as he is returning in from a night of partying uh what do we think about this i am lauren i'm so glad you asked this because i completely forgot about this in the movie and this was the one thing when i was watching where i was like we got some science for the podcast boys. let's do it (laughs) So, so after looking this up um so we were just you know trying to crowdsource some information the the thing with a hangover is it is a multifactorial symptom, right? So it may seem like, oh, I drank and now I have a hangover. But that there's so much more to it because alcohol does so many crazy wild things to your body. So number one, it's a diuretic. So you are going to, um, you know, expel a lot more water than you're taking in. Uh, that's sort of out of your control. If you take a bunch of alcohol, it's just going to happen. Um, but along with that comes depletion of electrolytes and also depletion of your glucose stores because your metabolism, your liver is working overtime to get rid of all this alcohol that's in your body. Yep. And it's creating toxic byproducts and it's getting rid of those toxic byproducts and it's trying to pee them out. And it's doing a lot of stuff. Um, alcohol is also dilating your blood vessels. It's causing capillaries to burst in your like nasal cavity and stuff. So a, yep. a lot of things in your body are happening and among those is probably uh, effects on the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle, which is a part of your cell's metabolism. Basically, all of your cells uh, do Correct. this. It's a part of respiration, cellular respiration of how your cells make more energy molecules, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is honestly probably happening. But I think to say that a hangover is the direct cause of your body's inability to perform the Krebs cycle is not yeah that that is a that is a fucking hot take it's a piece of the puzzle because (laughs) honestly that would just mean if you like ate food then your hangover would go away and that's not right exactly right which is not always the case like it's a it's a multifactorial thing but it helps but it's not the sole thing yeah it's a great question though but it's really just that your body you just fucked up your body really bad and your body's trying to recover (laughs) in like every possible way so Mm -hmm. yeah right Uh, thank you for your question noting too that like um uh, there's the direct byproduct of breaking down alcohol in the body is a uh, compound called acetylaldehyde um and when you drink you actually accumulate this in your body because your body is 
trying to break down the alcohol and cannot do it as fast as you are pounding beers. Um, specifically, <laughs> if you are of Asian descent. What's that like? Yeah, right. If you're power hour, if you're it's, power it's, hour. it's awful. Yeah. Um, they so there uh, some people uh, of Asian descent actually have a mutation in uh, an enzyme known as alcohol dehydrogenase uh, that makes uh, the enzyme very very fast at converting ethanol to acetaldehyde and so they build this up much much more quickly. Uh, there have actually been studies that uh, have been done where byproducts of acetaldehyde like acetic acid uh, can cause uh, some of the symptoms that you get with a hangover. So for instance, there's been at least one study done where you take sodium acetate injected, uh, it was injected into rats and it gave the rats headaches. So it's worthwhile noting too, that like, you're not going to get rid of a headache from a hangover until your body has caught up with the, with the, uh, alcohol dehydrogenase pathway. You can mm. start yeah. mitigating it. Uh, for instance, if you ingest caffeine, then you can actually block the action of adenosine, uh, which is uh, another byproduct that accumulates in your brain whenever you drink a lot of alcohol, that can get rid of your headache during uh, during a hangover. Listen, if people want to know, everyone's got all these fucking hangover remedies. If you like, if you Google hangover cures, it's like a fucking health nut wet dream out yeah. there. Like it's crazy. There's so <laughs> many things. Here's what you need to do if you have a headache: you take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory and some caffeine, and you're fucking good to go. Yeah, and and <laughs> most. Most headache drugs have caffeine in them. Right. You could take it like Excedrin yeah. or something like that. Excedrin. I mean, it's got like caffeine and it's an NSAID. And that's what you need. That's all it's you need. It's got all the things. You just need an NSAID yes. and caffeine. Drink some water before you go to sleep. When you wake up, eat something, take an NSAID, and take a fucking shower so you can wash all of the bullshit that's been processing and exuding from your body throughout the entire night. Because you know you feel like garbage because you have just been sweating alcohol out of your pores all night. Hell yeah, yeah. that's disgusting. Because you didn't know, listeners, scientists drink a lot. <laughs> we do. Grad school sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it's true. And with that, boys, it's time for our closing messages. Yeah, let's wrap this shit yeah, up. Yeah, so next uh, episode will come out. Is it January 2nd or January 1st? Yeah, New Year's. Oh, my God. Cool. New Year's. Well, it'll come cool. out around New Year's, so be, because of the holidays. Around New Year's, K- yes. Kenan edits uh-huh. the show, and we're not going to make Kenan sit up New Year's Eve editing the fucking show, because we don't hate Kenan, but uh, we are actually recording our next episode on uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey mm-hmm. this week, and we will delay the release so that you guys will have an episode to listen to mm-hmm. over the holidays. So Absolutely, and uh, also keep in mind that theoretically this episode goes up wednesday morning we are going to record 2001 a space odyssey wednesday night so if you listen to this episode fucking message us so we can get some questions onto the uh onto the show yeah thank you to otis mcdonald for the use of his song third eye blimp Mm -hmm. as the intro and outro to our podcast and i want to uh let everybody know if you like the show and you want to contact us in any way check us out on uh, our social media platforms we have a facebook page well, we have a Twitter, which is at Real Science Cast. You can also look at our Instagram, Real Science Cast. Um, and if you have any questions or you just want to get in contact with the boys, you can email us at realsciencecast at gmail.com. Or, very important, if you have any cat-related science questions, <laughs> please email them to realsciencecats at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I also wanted to chime in here real quick. We talked a little bit about um, how categorization of mental health uh, disorders uh, and how they're viewed and things like that can affect the non-binary and trans community. Um, I found at least two podcasts that I know deal with a lot of these issues that are actually uh, hosted by non-binary and trans folks. Uh, you should go check out Queersplaining, uh, at Queersplaining at, on Twitter, uh, and then check out Gender Reveal, at Gender Reveal on Twitter. If you want to get informed, go listen to them. Yeah, don't listen to Absolutely. us about that. And lastly, if you do like the show, our show, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us increase our visibility with all those crazy people who listen to podcasts on a regular basis. Hell yeah. We would really appreciate it. It makes us happy. So yeah, thank you to everybody who's been listening and supporting us over the past few years. And I think we're ready to sign off, right? Yeah, happy holidays, motherfuckers. My name's Kevin Smith. My name is Sean Grosson. And my name is Michael Pace. Pace, can you quit? Oh my god. Okay. Cool. You're gonna not eat I'm those. I'm eating almonds as well. Right, right. While we're recording, you're, I'm putting you're them away. Done right now. eating those. Okay. Cool. I'm just gonna chew no, on this. No, just Every time you come back with snacks, I'm like, all right, like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs>